Hey, you're just in time for happy hour. Welcome to the cantina. It's time to detox on the rocks. The show that's one part optimism, two parts distraction, and equal parts denial and tequila. Nowadays, something as simple as turning on the TV can feel as whimsical as a pelvic exam. So let's lighten up, shake it up, and embrace the unbearable bleakness of being with cheekiness and a borderline concerning blood alcohol level. So get cozy, pour yourself a drink, and let's detox on the rocks. Salut! As someone who oscillates between optimism and skepticism like a cheap living room fan, I ache for the days when I was painfully aware and blissfully ignorant. Instead of being envious of every roadkill I pass, all smushed and mummified. Lucky sucker. So let's go back. Back to the height of civilization, a time when it seemed anything was possible. No, not the late 90s, early 2000s. We're going a little farther back to the time of fairy tales. Now, Snow White was never one of my favorite princesses or stories. Much too much housework. The Disney version is a mix of a couple of different stories which most of us know, the oldest of which is called The Young Slave. Also, the gold and silver trees seem to have some influences in the story, as well as Maria, the wicked stepmother, and the seven robbers. Yes, let's relive the magic of a story where a queen, whose name is Silver Tree, and her daughter, by the name of Golden Tree, make friends with a magic trout. Now, the queen, who seems super needy, asks this fish who the most beautiful queen in the world is. This poor guy is just trying to not wind up as sashimi. But he missteps and says, sassy little thing, it's Golden Tree, your daughter. Well, the mother completely loses it, a completely normal response, right? And she takes to the bed, on her deathbed as a matter of fact. Now, the king returns from where, I don't know, a convention? They never really say. Ooh, side note, the king and queen are actually brother and sister. And you thought you had a lack of options on Tinder. It's said that they were in love even in the womb. Which makes them twins, which is somehow even creepier. But what he decides to do to spare his daughter, nieces, I don't know, Golden Tree's life is he marries his daughter to some rando prince, he's a prince so he must be a good guy, and gives his wife the liver of a goat. And I gotta wonder, did he wrap this up in a pale blue Tiffany's box, throw it in a ziplock, or serve it like charcuterie? Anyways, totally normal gift to give your wife, right? But where did the whole apple thing come from? Well, a lot of people think Adam and Eve, but it looks like this apple may actually have Greek origins. The goddess Eris got her fingers on a mythical golden apple, which was supposedly only for the fairest of them all. Which, I guess they didn't care so much about personalities back then? But the seven dwarfs, that's possibly the worst part of the story. The little people may go back to the German story of a contest named Margaret von Waldex, whose father owned several copper mines. Now the copper mines just happened to use child labor. 
not exactly the Care Bears. But in the spirit of fairy tales, let's play a game. I'm gonna tell you the details of an extremely popular ancient story. And you guess which one? Here we go. Our story begins 5,000 years ago in ancient Egypt. Our hero of the story is born to the queen of the throne, a goddess, if you will. Now in true fairy tale fashion, the story takes a hard turn into strange immediately. The queen of the throne's husband was also her brother. I'm getting a real close family trend in all these stories. Maybe a little time apart would do them all some good. Now, our hero was a little bit of a show off. His favorite thing in the world to do was hang out with about a dozen or so of his buddies and entertain them by doing things like walking on water and resurrecting the dead. I mean, they didn't exactly have football or keggers, so what else were they gonna do, right? But it wasn't all fun and games for our hero. See, he met his demise by being nailed to a tree, only to be, surprise, gotcha, jumping out of the bushes three days later with little help from his mother. Oh, and his birthday, by the way, December 25th. Any guesses? I am, of course, referring to the story of Horus, the ancient Egyptian sky god. Why? Who else would I mean? So the next time you go to read your kids or kids you're watching for a friend, don't be basic. Don't just reach for Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella. Get to the real heart of the matter and read them something like The Mouse, The Bird, and The Sausage, which quite frankly sounds like a demented adult film. Or how about try The Girl Without Hands, a surefire way to make sure those kids go to bed and don't utter a peep for the rest of the night. Salut and sweet dreams. Now that we're done traumatizing children, let's traumatize you. What's cuter than a koala bear? Well, bear ring in mind, I couldn't resist, that a koala's not really a bear at all, but a marsupial, here's a few not so fun facts that will definitely change your perception of them. One, koala bears are plagued by a highly infectious strain of chlamydia. All dirty jokes aside, it can be fatal for not only the koalas, but also humans, if you happen to get peed on by a koala. People are into all kinds of stuff, who am I to judge? But they're so cute, who cares, right? Well, they're actually more aggressive than crocodiles. In 2006, there was an attempted koala napping. However, when the would-be criminals broke into the koala habitat in an Australian zoo, the koalas were, quote, too vicious to steal. Three, baby koalas eat their mother's poop. Their mother's feces contains a specific gut bacteria that their little ones rely on more than their mother's own milk. Four, their favorite and only food, eucalyptus, is super toxic for them. Now, it's actually a huge myth that it makes them drunk or stoned, really not the case at all. The problem with eucalyptus is it is so low nutritional value, they're constantly sluggish because they're not getting the vitamins they need. Kind of like if you were to eat fast food every single day. So that leads us to number five, sort of. If it doesn't make them feel good and they don't really get anything out of it, why do they eat it? 
Well, it turns out they don't have the brain capacity to learn anything new. Their brains are 60% smaller than the typical brain of a marsupial, their size. And lastly, koalas have individual fingerprints, just like humans. Now let's see here. Lazy, unable to learn new things, and ultimately complacent in their own self-destruction and self-demise. They sound more human than I would have thought. Since we're on the topic of self-destruction, it's time for what's in your glass. Thirsty for a cocktail that's just the right amount of pretentious, but still accessible and fun? Looking for a martini that says, yes, I'm more sophisticated than you are, but you know you want to be friends with me or date me. Really just want to find out what I'm drinking. Is it French? Am I French? Well, I've got just the ticket for you. It's the perfect for any occasion, especially when you're trying to be a little bougie, the French martini. Like all martinis, this is meant to be sipped on. So a word to the wise, these babies go down easy. Insert dirty joke and pause for applause here. Start with a cocktail shaker full of ice and a chilled martini glass is a must. To chill a martini glass in a flash, dump some ice in the glass and let it sit while you mix up your cocktail. Take two ounces of Grey Goose. Make sure you keep your vodka in the freezer. It makes all the difference in the world. This is not the place, by the way, to cheap out on vodka. A, life's too short to drink cheap vodka. And two, a martini is really not the place to try. Add half an ounce of Chambord. What is it? It's a French black raspberry liqueur with a hint of blackberry, black currants, and a whisper of vanilla. Chambord is creme de cassis, but don't let the name fool you. It is not cream-based. It has a stunning indigo plummy color. Now, it may seem a little indulgent to have a bottle like this on hand when you may not use it all the time, but as Coco Chanel once said, give me the luxuries of life and I'll gladly do without the necessities explains why I had 27 different kinds of eyeshadow and my heating situation in my apartment was questionable at best. It's also about $30 a bottle, so not a giant financial commitment. It just looks fancy. So back to the cocktail. Add one and a half ounces of pineapple juice. Fresh is always best, but it's a cocktail, not baking. There's room to play around. Pour it all in your shaker and shake it like a Polaroid picture. Empty your martini glass of the ice and strain into said martini glass. Garnish with a blackberry. You may see it garnished with a raspberry, but don't be fooled. There's something kind of moody about a blackberry. Now the color of this martini is dreamy and it's impossible not to feel like a femme fatale with one in your hand. Hot tip, if you like your martini a little bit on the sweeter side and maybe a little softer as well, add an extra ounce of pineapple juice. Want to really act like you know what you're talking about? Or maybe need to hit up a meeting or two? Add a splash of vanilla vodka. Salut! Next, the unbelievable, yet absolutely true, story of Juan Bujol Garcia and Operation Paperclip. Picture it. 1939, the Spanish Civil War has just ended, and the Second World War has just begun. 
a man by the name of Juan Bujol Garcia, a cavalryman from the Spanish Civil War, while certainly charming, has nothing obviously extraordinary about him. He doesn't have ridiculous book smarts or any noticeable special skills, but this is a man who is the very definition of someone who can talk his way out of a room with no doors. In 1939, when Great Britain went to war with Germany, Garcia was determined to join the British war effort as a spy for Britain, and he would not take no for an answer, even when Britain gave him a big old nah-uh. See, even though he fought in the Civil War, he didn't have any spy experience whatsoever, no connections or credentials to qualify him as a spy. But my man here would not let that deter him. He stopped begging for a place at the table and decided to build his own table. Garcia went to the Germans and posed as an official, relocating to London and said he wanted to spy on Britain for the Third Reich. After a little convincing, they accepted his offer and he got to work. He left Spain and informed the Germans that he'd successfully set up a great new life in London, where he proceeded to feed them completely made-up stories and false information. See, he didn't leave Spain to go to London. He left Spain to move to Portugal and spy from London from there. Let me explain. Using only tourist guidebooks, magazines, and railway schedules, he concocted entirely fictional accounts of his quote-unquote life in London. Not only did the Nazis completely buy it, hook, line, and sinker, but he did not speak a lick of English. Not only did Garcia invent a whole new life for himself, he also fabricated, completely out of thin air, a whole crew, a network of fictional spies until it grew into 27 imaginary people he spun out of the ether. Basically, Garcia decided he wanted to be a double agent and then just did it. He worked as one for years, just the British had no idea he was doing it. The thing that made his story so believable is he was taking facts and changing them just enough so that they sounded true, but were completely useless. In 1942, Garcia went to British officials again about becoming a double agent and let them know, oh, by the way, I already am one. The fun little part is little did he know, British operatives had already been investigating a mystery secret spy who was sending information to Germany from Portugal, but they had no idea who the spy was. When Garcia told them not only was it him, but that entire network was also him, well what could they do besides offer him a job at MI5? The Nazis continued to think of him as an important resource throughout the war and never discovered he was a double agent, despite the fact that most of his information was incorrect. He even got the Nazis to reimburse him for thousands upon thousands of dollars for fake travel expenses. Not just for him, for his network as well. In his most famous deception, Garcia told the Nazis the news they heard somewhere about the planned invasion of Normandy was completely fake. Of course, this wasn't true, but as a result of this little deception, they were completely unprepared for the Allies' successful D-Day invasion. His codename, by the way, was Agent Garbo. 
like the actress Greta Garbo, the greatest living actor at that time. Now, once World War II ended, Garcia decided to leave Europe and head for a little tropical paradise he called Venezuela. Now, the only little wrinkle in this was there were so many former Nazis that had chosen Venezuela as the place to flee to, you know, because of the war crimes they committed and stuff. Well, he didn't want to spend the rest of his life looking over his shoulder, so he thought, maybe it's easier if I'm just dead. So he called Tommy Harris, who'd been his handler at MI5, and instructed him to tell everyone he died of malaria in Angola. God, this guy was good. Harris spread the news through the organization, and a year later, the British ambassador officially told Spanish officials he was dead. By the way, that was how his first wife and children found out. Meanwhile, in Venezuela, Pujol Garcia grew a beard, started wearing glasses, and opened up a charming little bookstore. He stayed dead until the 1980s, when the British writer Nigel West started researching him and theorized maybe he wasn't that dead. He tracked him down all the way to Venezuela, when he decided maybe enough's enough. He decided to come back to life, went back to Spain, and surprised the you-know-what out of his ex-wife, who said she'd always suspected he was alive, but after what she's been through, let's just let her have it. He was awarded the Iron Cross second class by the Germans for his outstanding services. The awards were overseen by Hitler himself. How's that for chilling? He was also given an MBE by the British. He was so good, he was decorated operative for both sides. Garcia died a second and final time in 1988. Just goes to show what can be done through determination, resourcefulness, and a whole lot of moxie. Constructive mischief at its finest. Well, that's the end of my drink and the end of the show. Remember, in order to be truly free, we must think freely, speak freely, and question freely. Only then can we call ourselves truly free. Until next time, we'll see you in the cantina. Thanks for hanging out. Salut! This has been a Cat Flap production in association with Not For Sale Media.